the more supple you are, the more your body is alive and you're eating healthy food and you're practicing asana and also having your spiritual connection meditation, you'll be able to hold increasing levels of light. Welcome to another episode of the Grassy Hopper podcast. Today we're recording from Gozo, which is beautiful. And I'm here with Srimati, aka Julie. Thank you so much, Julie, for being here. Well, it's thanks amazing. for having me. Feels like we've been living together for a month. After it feels like I've known you for lifetimes. It's <laughs> yeah. only been four days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've just come out of a beautiful retreat, so and the connections are more deep than if we were just going about our daily life. Yeah, we went right in. <laughs> we was like met and went right into retreat. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast because so far we've had a lot of different episodes, um, but none of them have really gone super into the spiritual part of our lives. And you know, when people think of health and wellness, they think about mainly food, which is great because, as you said in the retreat, you know, change your plate, change your life. Um, but I also really want to touch more upon the spiritual aspect of our health, which is something we've connected on very much. Just to give you guys an intro, um, Julie is the author of some really amazing books. One's called The Plant Power Way with her partner Rich, and the other one's This Cheese is Nuts, which is a whole cookbook full of vegan cheese, which is amazing. <laughs> Um, she's a chef, she's a singer um, of devotional song and also a spiritual guide and really shares the wisdom of her own experience in a really beautiful way so I really encourage you to check out her work and her podcast which we'll link to um, at the end of the show and in, in the um, show notes so <laughs> let's dive so in so what again. do you want to know? <laughs> what do they want to know? Um, I think inspired by the retreat I'm really interested in sort of the early times of your spiritual journey because mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful synchronistic time and I'd well, love to hear it's it. funny somebody asked me this question yesterday and um you know I, I was one of those people that was just born this way I was one of the, the weird people <laughs> so from a from automatically as you know as early as I can remember I was mostly interested in what happens when we die and and what is the greater uh, picture and even though I had you know a really you know nice family and you know parents that took care of me and loved me I um I didn't have a happy childhood I wasn't a happy child because I was waiting to grow up to get out of the family so that I could do what I came here to do. (laughs) So it was a long time looking at my watch. Uh, And um, also as the fifth kid, and really, um, you know, for me, just you feel you feel a bit fish out of water, you know, and and I think that this is a this is a, 
a condition for those of us that have chosen those roles to come in to be part of the way showers. And it's not a value different. It doesn't mean we're better than anyone else. It's simply a choice. So when we choose to come in to experience that role, we find ourselves incarnated in families where we're, we don't fit in or we feel like the black sheep or the one that's misunderstood. And it's really sort of an archetype, I think, of, of a wounded healer. It's part of our own journey. Is That's part of the journey to be misunderstood. So we have to learn to be comfortable uh, being misunderstood and being the ones that people think are crazy or loony or out there. And, you know, somebody wrote a quote that was really beautiful. I think it might have been Ken Wilber. Um, he's an author and uh, of some amazing books, uh, which I can't remember the names of right this, mo- this I'm moment. A, I'm a massive Ken Wilber fan. Oh, you I've are. Mentioned many times on the podcast. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So when I was really into um, alternative education, was unschooling my kids. There was a lot of stuff that he wrote, you know, that, you know, very profound, very, very, very amazing. But I think he wrote somewhere that um, if you feel like you don't fit into something, it may be because you came here to create it. And I think that's a really helpful bit of awareness for us to have because it can get pretty lonely and feel uh, pretty, you know, violent, really. And, you know, as human beings, part of our drive is to connect. And when, you know, we're constantly uh, not connecting, (laughs) you know, after some time, you know, there are some wounds that get triggered and stuff like that. So that was really comforting to me. I was like, oh, yeah. You know, if you're creating something new, then you're going to, that's a condition, right? Yeah. And so you, you grew up in Alaska, which I don't know why, but I find it really interesting. It's really interesting, I just can't right? imagine you. I know. Well, I was born in, in Colorado. We lived in the mountains above Denver. And so I spent most of my childhood in as a very young age in the, in the nature, in the forest. And the forest, that was my toys. So I didn't have a lot of toys. I had a lot of stuffed animals because I loved animals. But that was really the only toy. I never played with Barbies or like any of those other kind of typical kid toys in America. I don't know if you have them on Malta. Okay. But um, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the forest and creating imaginary games. And we had horses at that time. I didn't ride a lot because I was still quite young. I was like five, you know, four and five. Um, But then we moved to Alaska when I was nine. My uh, father moved up two years ahead of us. And then my mom followed with the five kids and a dog, and we drove up from Colorado, which was quite a hilarious journey. Um, And then we arrived in Alaska, and um, it was a totally different way of life, which was not not good. It was not a level up. We actually ended up in in a life that was much different than what we had lived in. It rained, I think, for two months when we arrived, and we had no furniture. We were sleeping on mattresses and then the winter started which is basically dark so Alaska um, yes I was raised in Alaska my dad was a hunter he was a bush pilot he was also a civil engineer and built many of the art buildings and museums and quite amazing buildings in in Alaska but um, it was not what you think it is Um, it was a bit of a wild west culture Um, drugs were legal And uh, so I entered into um, 
a first a stint with spirituality. My parents uh, were going to church when I was in Colorado, and then they stopped because I was the fifth kid. And anyway, it was it was church light anyway. It was like Protestant, you know. <laughs> My mother was Catholic and still is, and it's part of her lineage, but. She was excommunicated from the Catholic Church when she married my lowly Protestant father. (laughs) (laughs) So she continued to kind of worship. Like we had icons and rosaries everywhere in the house, but we didn't go to Catholic Church. So when they stopped going, I started hitching a, a ride to church with the neighbors because I had heard about this guy, Jesus that I just thought was the cool. I was like, that dude is cool. Like he totally resonated with him. So, you know, I, I received my own Bible and recited the 23rd Psalm. And, and then, uh, when we moved to Alaska, I somehow became a born again, Christian fundamentalist, you know, where you're chanting tongues and the whole thing. I never could do that, but I was in the church and I did that without my family. So it gives you a little window into how well I was supervised. <laughs> Not that well. Um, yeah, I, I got born again with a friend of mine who was six years older than I was. And I just, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And it was, it's kind of a funny story. I'll just tell you, we were, we went to this church and you know, those churches are always full of like thousands of people. Like they draw a crowd and it's kind of like a rock concert, which I'm also, you know, a musician. So it also speaks to me in that way. So here I was, like 11, I think, and um, the minister uh, says, you know, who wants to accept Jesus Christ into their life, you know? And I was, like, I was, I was booking, running to the stage before, like, any, before anybody could even see, right? So, you know, there was, like, a rock band singing about Jesus, and, you know, there, there might as well have been smoke going off in the, in the chapel, so I found myself in the back room uh, with the minister in a, in a circle of other people who had wanted to ask Jesus into their heart that day. So as I'm looking around, I notice my, I had braces, and I notice my orthodontal assistant is in the circle. And all at once, she starts talking in tongues. And there were tears streaming down her face. And talking in tongues is a like a another language that they're channeling a message or something but there's no way she wasn't making it up I mean there was some force that was moving there was she was not making it up it was too intense and too strong and too too specific so here I was at 11 just looking around the circle completely you know amazed (laughs) and later on in that in that time you know they tried to baptize me in the holy spirit and they would you know they would pray so that i could channel tongues and i just never could i was like yeah i would just be making it up like that <laughs> never came to me so what happened is i asked i went to like a christian camp for the summer and i started to notice these fanatical imbalances within the structure uh the first being they started to like they said that my camp counselor was possessed by demons and she was just kind of a normal lady and it just didn't add up. You hear I was at 11 and I was like, yeah, that doesn't make really doesn't make sense. And then, um, they started to really accentuate the sinning aspect of being human. So they said, you know, you better watch what you put on for church in the morning, because if you, did you wear that dress for God or did you wear that dress for some other reason? (laughs) And that just didn't make any sense to me either. And then I asked a question. I said, so what happens if you're born in China? Like that, I raised my hand. I, was, I said, what's happened? What, what happens? And they said, well, you're going to get one chance in your life. 
to accept Jesus Christ in your life. And if you don't, then you're lost. And I, at 11, again, I was like, yeah, that just doesn't make sense. Like I go, it's like a language, you know, like if you're Chinese, you speak Chinese, you know, it's some dialect of that. So, um, I still wanted to go to Christian church. I mean, Christian school. I really felt happy during that time. Um, it was a happy time. Um, but my parents said no. And I realized that I was trapped in this family. And so I made the intellectual decision to explore drugs for the next, you know, six years till I could get out of. And I did that. So I did a lot of drugs at a very young age. Um, started with being dosed without my knowledge. Um, but I did, you know, smoked a lot of pot, smoked cocaine. I might have invented, you know, smoking crack. I might have been the one. <laughs> but um, it was just crazy. You know, there was a lot of drugs. It was a gateway to the east, to the eastern, you know, a continent. And so, and this kind of cowboy mentality of wildness. So that was kind of that part. And then it was set, um, set amidst this gigantic nature that is so huge um, that if you step in the wrong place, it will take your life like completely unsympathetically, you know, as, as real forceful nature. So I had moments and experiences in nature that were, you know, profound and to be in that energy field. But it was sort of like growing up in Harlem in the mountains. <laughs> I find it really interesting that you, you were kind of responsible for your own spiritual journey from a very young age. Like most kids don't make their own choices at such a young age. It's quite interesting that you had that. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's kind of like the thing where, you know, I'm, I'm 55 earth years right now as I'm sitting with you. And I felt this age the day that I can remember being alive. I've never felt any different. And I think, I think it's maybe like that for, for most of us if we really tap into that. But yeah, I always had this awareness, I guess. And, and I didn't, I was very old soul. And I, as a matter of fact, I remember as early as like my parents would entertain a lot. So I was in line at the buffet and I remember one day my dad coming up to me and saying, here, let me help you with that. And I was annoyed at a level beyond, like, I was just like, you silly man, why are you touching my plate? You know, it was kind of like that. And then I found this picture later when I was grown and the plate literally reached from my head to below my knees. That's how small I was, but that's the feeling that I had inside of me. Yeah. <laughs> so you came out of this sort of drug taking phase at a young age with this kind of confidence in your spiritual journey. Was there like other things that happened maybe later? Like some people go through like quite a big challenge or some defining. I know there were things that came later. Yeah, the, well, the most defining, and I've talked about it on my podcast, is that, um, so I had this um, this element in my birth design, which, you know, uh, we all design our lives, so we, we are part of our experiences. And in my design, I had no opportunity for a close relationship with my father. And so only recently did I actually tie has everything really sort of come into focus with that? But um, it, was, it was just a personality 
uh, a way of being that it was a frequency, actually. I was of a different frequency than he was. So I was looking for this male love. I was looking for divine love, really. And I thought that it might be in a male love. So in my teens, I lost my virginity at a very young age, at like age 13, in a fishing village, completely unsupervised. Like I would go with his family and, you know, without my parents or anybody there. And I would spend the weekend with this older friend of mine and her parents would go get drunk at the bar. And we literally were just wild. We would hike the mountains of Alaska, completely unsupervised with no water. Uh, there were bears. There were, we had a ball. It was amazing. We would, and it stays light all day. So you would just be out for like 15 hours climbing up cliffs and experiencing nature when I see pictures of myself now, like sitting next to this rushing stream, that if I'd made a wrong step, I would be dead. It's like that. And now as a parent, I'm thinking, where were your parents? <laughs> like, where were your parents? But this is the way that it was. And there were also um, abandoned buildings in this fishing village because the military had set up a city there. And because it snows most of the day, they had a building that had a jail, a bowling alley, a an operating room, a, a ballroom, but it was completely um, abandoned and like falling apart. But we would sneak in and explore through the rooms and there would still be the gurneys or the, the light from the operation or the it was a bowling alley with like bowling pins and it would have water in it and it was very haunted and spooky and there was a tunnel from that building that led to the electric building that went under the street in pitch black so we would go from one building to the next. I mean, it was quite it was quite awesome in a way. But yeah, I ended up meeting some high school kid from Oregon. I don't even know his name. I didn't even ever think of it before. And there, you know, I lost my virginity in that way. And it was not a beautiful thing and not a great thing. And then after that, I would look to connect in that way. So I had a lot of sex with a lot of boys little boys, you know, in high school or whatever. Um, and that was a very destructive time for me because sexual energy is very, very powerful. And especially for me, of who I was, that was a very destructive thing for me to do. And it took me a long time to forgive myself for that. Um, I think that happened. I was very lucky, actually. I met a musician at the end of my high school and he was the first person that ever loved me and we had a month-long love affair that was beautiful his name was also Richard um, I'm friends with him today actually we've we re reconnected um, but he he really loved me like he wasn't using me and that was a complete shift in my healing with the masculine and working with the masculine so that was that was the roughest part you know, at that stage. Wow. <laughs> I also really, really feel inspired. I really love the way you talk about your challenges in general, mm -hmm. um, because I think, you know, we've, we've said many times that we live in a culture where we just want to show our good sides. And it's so crazy because we all want to connect and no one wants to connect with someone that's perfect. It's our imperfections which connect us, yet we're so busy crafting these perfect lives. I remember listening to your podcast where you discussed the dismantling that you and Rich mm -hmm. went through. Mm -hmm. 
um, and I had just been through something quite similar and I was going through a stage of intense financial pressure and it was so touching the way that you mm. were so open about that so I really salute you for that mm. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you want to just touch upon it but I think it's really helpful for people to realize that those challenges and intense struggles mm. are actually where the light gets mm-hmm. in they're actually where we can really start to make these big mm. changes in our lives sometimes when life's too easy we just we're not bothered to actually mm. make any changes yeah absolutely well it's all about the challenges isn't it i mean that's where the rubber meets the road that's where you find out who you are that's where you have the opportunity to really transform and that's the beauty of this moment on planet earth in this in this moment of so many mounting major issues it's like we're just being pressurized and squeezed from every direction like denial is going to have no place to hide in this and and that's a beautiful thing um of course you know none of us like to see i love humans i love life i don't like to see people suffer um so what i would say is that um the beginning of that answer starts in in let me just make a comment that we are serving the wrong master in this in this place that we live in, in this system. And we have lost our connection to our divinity and instead replaced it with service to a system of money or greed or success in in physical terms or material terms. And those are the people that we celebrate or those are the lives that we celebrate. And, you know, even like if a, if a man walked in here and had, it's like, oh, he owns, you know, five banks that carries with it a power in this world um, that is not that high. (laughs) It is actually a wrong direction because at the end of your life, which is coming very quickly (laughs) um, and you never know when it's coming, um, those things are not going to help you. Okay, So as spiritual beings having a human experience or multidimensional beings having a multidimensional simultaneous experience, we are born, from the second we're born, uh, we, if we're intelligent, our life is about preparing to die. It's about preparing to make that transition. And, you know, and there is no death. Life is, et- we are eternal beings. Um, so what I had is I had this experience of of going through this financial collapse and um, you know what happened was uh, I knew that there was a huge shift of consciousness happening and I knew deep inside myself that the way out was to truly connect with the heart and to live that as the first focus instead of thinking well what could I do to make money you would think who am I you know, how was I created? What are my, what do I love? Really? It's that simple. What do I love? So, um, I had just given birth to my fourth child and, um, our acceleration was connected to her birth. So she carried a very, uh, high vibrational frequency for the moment. Um, and the kids that are coming in parents, if you're listening to me, and if you've been blessed enough to, um, bring a child into the world, and your child is a child that is a, a leader and not you're not able to coerce them or manipulate them or placate them with little children games. I know you're listening to me right now. Um, these children are carrying a frequency that is 
different than what's been here. And of course, it's all evolving. Now my, my Jaya is now 10. So think of all the energies that have come in since her. But literally, it was a frequency that came into our life that was repelling physical manifestation that existed at that time. So literally every job that we would have gotten was just, it wasn't just going away, it was exploding away. Like, and it, it happened in the form of, you know, uh, equipment breaking, um, you know, directors picking up their equipment and leaving in the middle of a job. I mean, it was quite, you know, quite um, dramatic. Um, but I knew this, and luckily I had spiritual counsel. I had a mentor that was letting me know, you know, what, what was on the inside. And with both my younger girls, I unschooled them uh, because their frequencies did not fit into the systems that exist in education. And what went along with this was um, just an inability to connect with the material world. Uh, but we were always taken care of. We were always blessed. We were always held in divine beauty. However, we lost our health insurance. I couldn't pay mortgage property, uh, house property taxes or insurance for almost five years. And we still have our house, which is, a, it's, it's a miracle, but it, it also was something that I committed to spiritually. You know, I knew she was um, a divine temple and that it was an energetic space that that needed to be kept you know not for my family lineage but as a as an energetic portal and even now when I do healing sessions I, I use that portal so that portal is used for the whole it's not just a place that we live so what I did is I I embraced this financial collapse as my sacred moment and I chose to perceive it in that light. And I held that vision no matter what everybody else thought of me. And there was a lot of judgment and a lot of, a lot of judgment and a lot of analyzing of us and what we were doing and the choices we were making. And no one was telling us to make the choices we were making. We had to make them outside of any societal support. And I can't say that I knew that Rich was going to become, you know, this world famous podcast host and, you know, inspire so many people. Um, I didn't know that our family was going to be this vibration example of plant-based living. Um, I didn't know a lot of it. A lot of it was not on our vision list, but I did know that the only way through was to serve that heart authentically and in devotion. And that if we did that, we would arrive somewhere, but at least it would be ours, you know, at least it would be true. And during that time, I mean, it took a long time. <laughs> and of course there were ebbs and flows, but I mean, the, the really arduous journey was really seven years, but then there was a year ramp down and a year ramp up. So it was really a nine year time frame of life. And um, during that time, I channeled my music, which really is what kept me alive. And, and to this day, if I had to choose one expression of creativity that, is, that blessed me the most, it's my music. And if I didn't go through that, I would never have found my music. And if Rich had never gone through that, he would never have found you know, his, his connection to people and what he's doing with athletics and everything. So, um, and also... 
I think that at the, in the, we set the intention that we wanted to embody this way show or we wanted to be people that helped other people to find their own authentic voice. And in order to do that, we had to be alchemized. We had to go through this fire. If we hadn't have gone through that fire, we couldn't serve so authentically. Because you, I always call it, it's, you know, Derek Zoolander from the movie Zoolander. I don't know if you know that. You know, when he's like, I want to make a school for kids who can't read good. You know, I think that's the level where a lot of us are dealing when we think in our mind that we want to do something nice. Uh, this is a different way of serving. It, you, you go through the experience and burn at a level that you embody this frequency in your cells. And that's why when people listen to the podcast or come into contact with us or read our books or listen to my music, it evokes a deep emotion. So people are often crying uh, with us. That's the level we're relating to them at. And it's because that's the level that we alchemize to. And I'm not that, I mean, we're happy. Like it's all about celebrating. But what I mean, it's a deep, it's a deep resonance. It's not light. People don't come to us and say, hey, I really like your hair. Or hey, you know, your song's really snappy. You know, they'll come and say, you know, I play that song to my two-year-old every night before I go to bed and I cry. You know, it's like that. Or, you know, Rich and I will be traveling and someone will just stop him and say, you know, you, you saved my life. It's like, and not, not like that. I mean, we're just channels. Yeah, but yeah. so what I would say is we need to remember that we are not our credit score. <laughs> you are so much more than your credit score. And this whole system is a, and it's a distraction from the real work that we came here to do or experience we came here to have. And, you know, I always say, well, Jesus didn't have a 401k or a savings account or a Buddha, you know, just in case. He didn't have a hundred K Instagram followers. That's right. He didn't have all that. So it's, and the thing is too, is, is it's just an illusion of security anyway, because even if your mind does all the financial planning necessary and you get yourself completely, I mean, I'm always in amazement of those people because that hasn't been me. But, you know, if you get yourself in a total situation when you're like, no, I'm totally safe. I can do whatever I want. You're not safe. You're going to, life is going to visit you in another way. You're going to, you know, you're going to have to deal with some trauma, some challenge, some way of becoming, whether it's illness or a natural calamity or a loved one who passes or whatever, you know, divorce, a breakup. It's, it's the human journey. Yeah. So there is no safety. It's like the Buddha's dad who tried to protect him from death and old age and all of that. <laughs> what I think is really fascinating to me is that some people have this vision for their future and they stick with the storm. And I think that's really interesting because, you know, nine years is a long time to be in a pressure cooker and it could be so easy you know after the second year to say like oh I'm just being stubborn like mm-hmm. let's give up on this on this tree even year three year four year five year six and mm-hmm. and you do see that there are people and it's really beautiful that society is starting to celebrate them a bit more nowadays mm-hmm. um because we do need people of vision who are going to stick to that vision no matter what no matter how much mm-hmm. how hard it is I don't know if you have any thoughts of like, what gives us that strength? It's... Well, for me, I mean, again, and Rich would say that it's be, it was my faith 
it, he didn't have the faith to do this. So for whatever reason, you know, the, that's the way the divine pattern was put together. Yeah. But I call it, for me, it's, I call it extreme faith. Mm-hmm. That in the face of everything, I have to apply extreme faith. Yeah. And, um, you know, every, not some people, everyone thought I was insane. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they're like, wow, we never thought that was going to happen mm-hmm. now that they look from the outside. And how did you how did you process that? Because it must have been really painful. And I think this might be definitely really interesting for some of our listeners from Malta because you know we're a small island. There's a lot of societal pressure. There's a lot of that judgment, mm-hmm. and people find it very difficult to step out of the norm mm-hmm. of what society expects of them and take that stand. Yeah, well, I think it, it was extremely painful for me because I also was going through a whole simultaneous spiritual shamanic journey that was my own that like the richest story in his book is what was happening in this world and then I was going through you know two or three other scenarios that were equally as intense as well as holding him for this one so I felt like kind of sometimes like you know I'm already like dying here like I'm literally burning in the fire do I have to do I have to field your arrows of judgment on top of it and the funny thing that was interesting was that it was as if everything that I had done in the past be like that wasn't considered you know like I had you know given birth to four beautiful children I had I had made money you know I had built homes I had you know experienced the physical world at a certain level you know not not the not the highest but pretty expressed And I had taken, you know, family members on vacation and loved them and cooked for them and had celebrations at my house and, you know, all that. And when I stepped out of doing that, the the um, the the reflex was to judge and get angry at me. But part of the reason that people get angry is because you're you're scaring them. Because you're like, wait, you were the one that was fine and now you're not fine and you're scaring me. You know, and so it, this can happen also. Like if you break up with a partner or something, they're like, "Wait!" You know, it starts to threaten their world. So this is something that I, you know, that I learned through this experience, and I learned that when somebody is in their dark night or somebody is in trauma, the most loving thing that you can say is, "I believe in you. I just want you to know I believe in you and I trust you, and I'm here for you. And do you need some shampoo? <laughs> you know, and." You know, let me buy you a new pair of pants or here's some money for the kids or whatever you can give. But what we're trained to do as humans is to go, you know what you should do? You're not doing that right. And, you know, you should do this or look at look at that other person, what they're doing. Maybe you could be like them. You know, I had a whole conversation with a loved one who was like, you know, maybe you could be more like another person. I was like, you know, <laughs> literally like just my skin was being pulled off my body, you know, And so I say that a lot. That's why I say on my podcast that even if no one else believes in you, that I believe in you to find your way home. Because how could it be otherwise? You are a divine being of God. You are an emanation of sacred consciousness. So when when we love someone and we celebrate them where they are today before they have to achieve anything else, we hold them in what I call the Christ principle. That is really what Christ means. I'm going to see you in your divinity, even though you're a drug addict right now. How about that? Even though maybe you can't see yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
I think that's actually I had people who did that for me you know mm. and saw me in my highest before I could even see it myself and I'll be eternally grateful for those people because generally most people resist their own dark night so they resist yours as well yes <laughs> so it just creates that whole other level of resistance and as you said you know we can't get through it with resistance only with acceptance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so to all of you out there <laughs> going through a dark night of the soul mm-hmm. just stay with it and mm-hmm. we believe in you <laughs> yes absolutely amazing um I don't want to go straight into the food because I think I just want to talk a little bit about the connection between spirituality and our health. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, at, at Sanya and at Grassy Hopper, we see so many people suffering from anxiety mm-hmm. in today's world. Mm-hmm. And for me, yoga and meditation is just, they couldn't be more perfect for this time. You know, this high stress lifestyle, our bodies are, you know, having to deal with a lot of toxins. Um, high pressures at work, disturbances mm. in relationships. Um, so I just maybe want to share, I know you you know, have a, a very strong practice and that's probably what got you through all of these crazy mm-hmm. um, experiences. And maybe just share kind of your thoughts on the role spirituality has to play in our own health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, I would say that, yes, that yoga, um, reconnecting with yoga this lifetime and... Uh, first an asana practice so I think for anybody who is in the modern world and and has not connected has not prayed or had time to really connect simply getting into a regular asana practice without much else will start to shift a lot in your life I am eternally grateful for these practices and they are what got me through literally they are what get you through so it's 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 the yoga practice then medit and meditation meditation is actually more important but why i'm saying asana is because if you are too monkey mind and you can't sit then i don't i don't find it a meditation first so get yourself into an asana practice it will enliven your body it will make you feel it's the difference to me between being alive or dead and then you know now I'm in my mid-50s and I'm very strong I have a very strong body um, and you keep the energy flowing it's like the the suppleness the flexibility the ability to hold light and as spiritual beings having this human experience there is higher and higher levels of light that are coming into the planet and some physical bodies can't hold that light. It creates a pressure. It creates a, for all of us actually. So the more supple you are, the more your body is alive and you're eating healthy food and you're practicing asana and also having your spiritual connection meditation, you'll be able to hold increasing levels of light. So just in that, for, for that reason, um, I, it's funny because I just, recorded my first yoga video but I'm now moving into a lot of yoga to to share that because if I had to really give you one practice it's like if you had to take it to a desert island like Malta I would say make sure you just cultivate a very strong yoga practice um and then uh you know the food Cleaning up your diet is the first portal to being able to feel yourself we've been eating chemistry GMO and packaged food uh, for a long time and we have disconnected ourselves from nature and from you know life and eating a plant-based diet is the most 
profound thing you can do for your physical body, for the planet, for animals, for our consciousness, you know, for sure. The whole reason that I do, that I eat plant-based is spiritual. I mean, it really is because ultimately if I'm connected spiritually, my body will be in the perfection of a Christiac model. It will not, it will be disease free. It will be, it will be pristine. Um, so it's all about spirituality. The entire scenario here is about spirituality. You know, uh, I talked to somebody at the retreat this weekend and she said, well, you know, my kids are first and then my husband and then my job and then the house and then cooking and then maybe spirituality. And I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh, I was like, <laughs> flip the whole, like the spirituality is one. It's the first relationship. And then everything else comes from that. That's the way you can best serve your family, your job, Mm -hmm. is if you're in that Mm -hmm. connection. Yeah, And the other thing that I just wish to offer, too, is that I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about any isms or any rules or anything that you need to get. What I would say very simply is find time to make space in your life for you to connect with your inner voice. Remember what you loved as a child and find a way to do that. Even if you work in a bank and you love to sing as a child or draw as a child, spend time every day doing that thing that you loved when you were a child because it will activate a frequency of joy which will start to cultivate experiences to you that support that or give you opportunities in that. So when we spend time doing the thing that's in alignment with our soul that brings us good energy, which then will support us in moving into other expressions. Definitely. I think something that's interesting is that in a sense, it's like we've forgotten how to communicate with God. Mm. Um, we've forgotten how to pray. Mm. And you see, even within the yoga community, there's many people who are happy to come to yoga as a physical practice but as soon as the devotion comes in it gets a bit scary mm-hmm. and in fact you know we had a couple of people on the retreat who said if i knew this retreat was going to be so spiritual i probably wouldn't have come but the spirituality that i received was actually the, the best mm-hmm. part of it mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. Um, and i think that's really interesting mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and you know me myself and we really connect on this matter we both have that inner devotion mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something that through the silence people can really achieve in their life. Mm-hmm. I heard this amazing quote recently which said, silence is not about the absence of sound. It's us taking a break in imposing our ego on this world. Mm-hmm. It's like we take a break from all of that and mm-hmm. we let something bigger come through. Um, Making space. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's true. Beautiful. No, I think that's that's good that you bring that up. And for me... Again, I like to to remind people that you don't need anybody's permission to connect with your inner spirit. It's not it's not like a protocol or a certain chant that you have to say or a certain ceremony that you have to do. But I will say that we are spiritual beings. I was talking to Team Master Wuda about this in Barcelona last week. Uh, ceremony and spirituality is it's an innate part of what it means to be a human being human is a divine being so as you give yourself permission it it's this flip We, we must receive ourselves as divine you must accept yourself and love yourself right now wherever you are understanding that the sun shines on every 
creation in life and that there is nothing that you have ever done or will ever do that would make you unloved in the eyes of consciousness. So if you're judging yourself, you are judging the divine. So at this point in time, you can just make a decision to love yourself unconditionally and gather all of those places that you felt you, you fell, you know, like in my case, I had to gather up all those promiscuous violations of my sacred body. And I have to wrap it, wrap my arms around that and hold it as a divine precious experience. And I have to love myself for it. And because I do that, I can speak about it. I have no shame about it. I have, you can feel it. I have no shame about it. Um, it's part of becoming. We come into this world to experience these dark places. If you're an addict, if you're addicted to a substance, if you're, you know, if you if you inflicted violence even upon anybody, uh, there is forgiveness in the next breath. And please spend moments cultivating this remembrance and understanding. Really feel the the sun as a sacred force shining on you, and begin there. Begin by viewing yourself as divine. Um, and this is a hard disconnect for a lot of people because they're like, well, how could you do that? Because we're sinners. No, we're not. You're not a sinner. That's an implant that's been put on humanity to keep us from, re from realizing our true nature. So um, consciousness is loving you unconditionally and eternally. And uh, if you just get on that train... <laughs> Um, you can love yourself and it will allow you to love others because really when you, when you have this separation and you, you cannot receive yourself as divine, it means you can't receive another as divine either. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Beautiful. I think it's, it's exactly as you say, uh, that shame is actually what keeps us from our spiritual connection mm -hmm. and that silence that divine force comes through and helps us find that, that forgiveness. And that pure love cultivates a compassionate, all-inclusive, beautiful love. It's, it doesn't cultivate a selfie plastic <laughs> love. You know, it do, that's not what it cultivates. Yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about narcissism. Yeah. I'm talking about really receiving yourself as, as a divine being. Yeah. And when you are touching aspects of yourself simply your presence will heal somebody sitting next to you because they will feel that acceptance and they'll just snuggle up next to you. <laughs> and that it's like a sigh of relief. It's like, oh, you know, I'm yeah. so relieved, you know? Yeah. Amazing. Actually, one of our retreat um, guests was, was saying how um, they felt so much love in this space and it was almost like something so different so, you know, usually I'm like this, but here this weekend, I've just, I've been surrounded by so much love that I've been able to be like this. And it really struck me that for me, it's kind of normal. You know, I, I have a lot of very loving friends and a lot of people who are spiritually connected. So we have a very harmonious environment. And I just thought, wow, you know, I forget that a lot of people are surrounded by a lot of tension and, and pressure. And mm -hmm. simply just by sitting in that, it actually doesn't take anything other than creating a loving space. Mm -hmm. And people can just sit in that and experience a whole different way of, of connecting with themselves. Definitely. <laughs> it's a nice smile. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just talk a little bit about the food. Okay. Um, because 
as, as we know, it is really important for people. And I love the way you, you and Rich share about food um, mm-hmm. because you're so joyful with it. Mm-hmm. And it's such an antidote for our very tense relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even vegan lifestyles, it can become an identity mm-hmm. um, and can become another straitjacket. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you and Rich just share in such a joyful way. I mean, your cookbook is just beautiful. I absolutely love it. And I remember seeing one of Rich's videos um, where he, I think you were in it as well, where he went around to different supermarkets and he was trying to get a plant-based meal for under like $20 yeah. or something. And then he picked like the most expensive superfood. <laughs> yeah. Like obviously I wasn't with him because I'm the chef and he doesn't really shop. So it was a sweet, it was yeah. funny, but that, that video got like tons of views and yeah, people enjoyed he, it. It's he's just, so cute. He's so childlike. Yeah, he is. Like, he's he's like, okay, I'm going to get these... <laughs> Goji berries for 20 bucks. I'm like, dude, you just blew your whole budget. It was so funny. But it really kind of captured the essence yeah. of the way you guys relate to food. And yeah, I think yeah. it's so beautiful. Thank um, you. So gratitude for that. Thank you. I'm sure you're inspiring a lot of people. So yeah, plant-based living. I mean, me, myself, I came to it in the same way you did. I think mm-hmm. more through the yoga way. Mm-hmm. Of just if we want to be our best selves, if we want to mm-hmm. live in love... Mm-hmm. Um, then we need to cut out foods which are not supporting us to mm-hmm. be that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what would you maybe suggest to people who are just starting to think about this to just relieve that kind of... Because there's this tension between sort of where we want to be and where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll answer that. I want to just say one thing before we go into this is something to contemplate. I just want to offer... Um, I contemplated and... And could feel inside myself. I mean, I was raised in Alaska. My dad was a hunter. And um, I was raised with this implant that uh, humans are superior to animals. And that that it, it is our right to take that animal. So, and even that I'm a plant-based chef. And I haven't eaten meat for years. And I have no desire to eat meat. If I go inside of myself, I can feel it as inside of me still existing. It's as part of a collective, it's a collective belief that exists on the planet. So that's a good place to start. Maybe you want to ask yourself, where did that idea come from? And and do you agree with it? And if there was a, a goat or a lamb brought to your door, could you... Uh, slaughter it and skin it and cut it up. Something to contemplate. <laughs> I could not. <laughs> it's a good question. My dad could, okay? And there was a level of respect that I had for him because at least he knew where his meat was coming from and he was okay with that. However, I was never. And, you know, so that's that's a good place to maybe remind yourself, like, why are you eating meat? Are you eating it because it's natural with you or was it was it implanted over you so check that out but i would say to begin is that you have to let go of this idea of perfection and it's not like you flick a switch one day and then all of a sudden okay now i'm a vegan or now i it's like you have to begin somewhere and we're we're all being uh directed or controlled or run or impulsed by this entire uh, ecosystem of bacteria or living organisms that are in our gut and it's called the microbiome and they've done science on it where it shows that this population is dictating your cravings more than you are 
So if you're somebody that's been eating meat for a long time, this micro microbial environment that's existing within you, which is more human than you are, is telling you that you need meat. So you can't trust your cravings if you're out of balance already. That's like an Ayurvedic, you know, sort of foundational uh, concept. So what I would say is just start to bring more dark leafy greens into your life. I would start with a juice a day. Is it okay? Yeah. Okay. I heard this beautiful. The birds <laughs> liked that when I said that. <laughs> they were like, yes, green, green leafy, leafy greens. <laughs> so um, the, uh, that's, that's the beginning step because if you start to get these leafy greens into your system, it will start to repopulate your gut with good uh, you know, bacteria or life forms, whatever. So, and what I would say is not the sweet. So you want the leafy greens, the coconut water, ginger, lemon, that variety. Stay away from the super sweet juices. And just start with one of those a day. I would do that for a week. And then the second week, add a second one. And at that point, you're going to start adding more leafy greens onto your plate. So the meat's still on your plate, but you're bringing in more of the, let's say, sautéed chard. Have you ever tried sautéed chard and coconut oil with some sea salt and and, uh, apple cider vinegar or maybe lemon juice? Try it. It's the bomb. It's so good. So just start bringing those vegetables back in. And then after that, we would say just really start eating a lot of varieties of a lot of vegetables and fruits. Whole foods, not processed, no package, simply prepared, steamed, you know, rice, potatoes. Um, we, I use a fair amount of coconut oil. Um, it's more of a yogi Ayurvedic uh, substitute for ghee. I, do, I don't use ghee, but um, uh, just take it back to basics. Simplicity, simplicity. Let go of the pastries, the you know, the sauces, like all this kind of deep stuff. Fried. The, yeah, the deep fried. No deep fried. And just take it back to basics. And then, you know, pretty soon your meat will drop you. Then you'll be like, I don't want that suddenly. So that would be, but this doesn't mean that you never have, don't go too extreme because then you're going to yo-yo back. So if you need to have something sweet, that's not vegan. Okay. It's all right. You know, just, just steady and slow, steady and slow. And then you've started your yoga practice or your movement. You got to move your body. You can't sit in a chair and go, okay, I switched my diet. Why is my body not changing? So whatever you love, whether it's free diving or swimming. I met Kurt the other day who free dives. So, um, you know, just, you got to move your body. You have to move your body. So, and the other thing that I would say that I want to mention on your podcast is a really great way to start tapping into your spiritual nature and to develop a connection with a meditative state is to drink, um, tea. And I'm not talking about the tea that you buy in the shop that has a stimulant. I'm talking about puer tea. It's the leaves from ancient trees that are fermented and you drink the substance and you're connecting with nature in this very visceral way. If you go to globalteahut.org and you subscribe, we can drink tea together every month. 
It's a minimum donation of $20, and it funds a nonprofit ashram by my dear friend Wuda, Tea Master Wuda. Um, he's a beautiful being, and there's an amazing community that is building around this ancient substance, ancient uh, drink that has been the oldest substance drunk on planet Earth. Um, so join us in that. Wake up every morning and drink three bowls of tea with us. And if that's all you do, um, your life will transform. Very glad you shared that. I'm very glad that you brought the, the tea into our retreat. It was a really, really beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, you know, creating that space for silence, it's actually people kind of have to experience it almost to realize what you're talking about. Because when we say drinking tea, we have such a different uh, thing. Um, we sit around and chat and gossip and, and, <laughs> and talk about our daily life. Whereas this is actually um, a super sacred ritual which you're doing in silence and it's actually a moment for yourself. It's a meditation. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. We had a, some beautiful experiences here. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and amazing advice with bringing the greens in. It's such a... I'm really, really glad that you said that because it actually changes our taste buds as well. Um, so it's changing the stomach and the taste buds and slowly, slowly just allows you to evolve what a sort of gentle and peaceful way to, to approach changing your diet. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's very powerful. Yes. And I think for the sweet, you know, I have a sweet tooth. If you guys look at my cookbooks, you'll see that I have quite a, quite a, quite a nice dessert section always. <laughs> Um, but I would also say, like at uh, Terra Broma, your uh, chocolate cafe in in Malta, in yeah. in Valletta, Valletta right? Yeah. Um, what what I did in order to not deprive myself of that sweet and cause a yo-yo into eating something yeah. that's not good is I would connect with some really great chocolate like what you have yeah. because you don't need a lot; you yeah. just need a piece, yeah. and it's so you're not gonna you know, gain a lot of weight and it's all beautifully made. Your products are just gorgeous. I mean, it was, it was delightful. So I want to go home and, and try to make some as well. But, um, that's one thing. And the other thing is, is where you guys live, connect with dates, develop a relationship with dates and all, there are maybe 400 varieties or more that exist in nature with different qualities, with different frequencies and, I get about 10 in California and it's one of the true pleasures of my life is going to the farmer's market and experiencing that. So amazing. Definitely. It's such a good way to get that sweetness without going for the white Mm -hmm. hardcore processed Mm -hmm. sugar. So I just want to ask you a couple of questions from our audience um, because I put a shout out to ask people if there's anything they would like to ask you. And we had a few really good questions the first one I think is a question a lot of people will be thinking, and it's to do with kids. I know you get this question mm-hmm. quite a bit, um, but it's just asking if your kids were always on a plant-based diet, and if not, how did you encourage them to make the transition? Mm-hmm. Was it hard? What's your approach? And if you have any other mother, uh, any mm-hmm. advice to mothers who are too scared to even try? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, great question. That's from Sarah Woods. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks for your question. Um, yeah, it's uh, it is 
a process. My kids were not always plant-based. I think we'll find when we're in families, we have one child who seems to like meat or one child who's naturally vegetarian. In my case, my older boys, one was naturally vegetarian and the other one was eating what we used to say was clean meat. You know, like there was a clean meat, that, that illusion, that whole thing, like, oh, white meat is better. So he was eating that. Um, and, uh, and then my little girls, uh, they've never eaten meat, um, except by maybe accident. I think a grandmother gave them meat. You know, you know how that is. You go home and they're like, what? You, you're a vegetarian. You eat chicken? I made you chicken. It's that disconnect from the family that just tortures us, right? So, but no, they've never eaten meat. They did, they did eat, um, they drank goat's milk as young, you know, after I stopped nursing. And um, they ate, you know, some yogurt and some ice cream at some point. And then when Rich went vegan, we all went vegan. I think Jaya, though, actually has had almost, you know, more, she was raised more vegan. So this is my advice to mothers is remember that if you have brought violence into your kitchen, you have missed the entire point. So your role is to be a loving mother, of course, as you are, I know, but to create food with love with the intention of healing. So the most important thing in the food is the frequency with which it is created. Um, that is very powerful and worth a lot. So having thoughts of wanting to nourish your family and really having celebratory and high vibrational thoughts while you're cooking is the first point. From that point, I prepare lots of variety of a lot of vegetables, of a lot of plant-based foods in the most creative and amazing ways that I can. If my daughter says to me, um, but I don't like Brussels sprouts, I say, I understand. I Oh, wow, I hear you. Wow, you don't like those. Okay, I hear you. I've received it. And then the next day, I'll have Brussels sprouts on the table. And what I'm saying, maybe not the next day, but it's like, just because she doesn't like them doesn't mean I stop making them. So again, lots of variety. So I don't just make one vegetable. I make maybe three. I try different ways. I make sure I have potatoes or I find something she does like or you know, I have a lot on the table. And what happens over time, if you just don't get involved in the emotional push and pull of over the food, I just present what I present and what they eat is what they eat. And then, you know, over time, my kids eat more vegetables than most people. And I think it's the, if you get into a war over it, there's a violence there. And that's a danger for creating an eating disorder. So you can't micromanage your food at a level that you can't even take a step. So you try to buy organic. If it's not available, then don't. Then wash it in apple cider vinegar. You try to do the best you can in every moment. We're all aspiring to this lifestyle. And, you know, I wrote The Plant Power Way, which is a lifestyle book. It's a family book that has creative recipes for the family. Um, they're delicious. They're filling. They're creative. They're amazing. Uh, but even we aspire to it. You know, we're traveling in Europe right now. My kids are vegan for all purposes, but they wanted to try the pizza with the sheep's cheese. They didn't like it. But, you know, I have to allow them their own experience. And they could have liked it and it would have been okay. But then we go back home and I'm cooking, you know. So what I say is we need to become amazing chefs. Um, and that, you know, people say to me, well, I don't have time to cook. And I say, you should make time.
I'm sorry, but this is our life. Eating food is affecting your health. If you do not take care of your health, you are not going to have an amazing life. And you are setting the foundation for your children. So all of my recipes take under 30 minutes to make. So I'm not about, you know, this complicated stuff. But it's not that hard to steam a beet, you know? And I think a lot of us in the modern world, you know, I have friends who are like, I don't know, but I don't know how to do that. I'm like, but learn. It's not that hard. And maybe it's another family member who's into it. You know, my daughter studied Italian plant-based cooking as her semester project. And she took my lasagna recipe and just one-upped me and made it way better than mine ever was. And it was fantastic, you know? And she actually made pasta noodles from scratch. So somebody in your family who loves it, if you don't love it that much, it doesn't matter. Just get simple with it. Um, the other thing I'll let you guys know about is that I have, Rich and I have a, a Plant Power Way meal planner. It's called the Plant Power Meal Planner. And it's a service you can subscribe to, and it plans your meals for the week. And we just had it converted into metric. So there's metric uh, measurements. And it's like $1.90 a week. It's nothing. And every week you put in, you know, I don't like onions, or I'm allergic to lime juice, or I don't eat eggplant, and it will spit you out a week of meals that are planned with the quantities, the recipes, and everything that you need to make the food. So we've tried to make it, it be more easy. <laughs> yeah, it, the the result, the response to it has been very, very proud. But I would just say unconditional love and acceptance for every human being, no matter where they are in their journey. That's the first. Yeah. And then from that, just be amazing. <laughs> you can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> So another question we have from Elena Irlanda is she wants to know, I think this is a really interesting question because a lot of people, so her question is she she wants to know if you appreciate food more since being on a plant-based diet, if you enjoy cooking and eating more um, than before, um, or were you always that passionate about food and do you believe that the food you eat affects your mood and state of mind? Okay, yes to all the above. Yes, <laughs> um, yes, yes, yes. What yes. I discovered is, no, I was not always into food this way. I mean, I'm a, I'm a cancer astrolo- astrologically in both Vedic and Western. I love home. I love family. I love plants. Um, when I go to a nursery of plant and see plants, it gives me immense joy. Going to the farmer's market gives me immense joy. I, I love it. I just love seeing all the fruit and vegetables and everything. But I would say when I learned to cook plant-based, my love for food expanded exponentially. My food is way tastier now than it ever was because it it affects the spiritual quality in your body. And food is like a, it's on a whole nother plane. So I always tell people that eating, switching to a plant-based diet and eating food as medicine has provided, um, has added an entire kaleidoscope of experience to my taste buds, to my body, to my community. And look, I wrote, you know, these two amazing cookbooks. You know, I wasn't doing that before. Um, So eating plant-based has completely changed the game in a vibrational, positive way for good. And I have much more variety now than I ever had. And um, I would never eat any other way. I absolutely adore it and love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had the same experience. I've never been a foodie all my life. I, you know, eat to live type. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I went vegetarian and got into plant based, now I really love food. <laughs> and it's, 
Exactly as you said, an eating plant based is not just about you. It kind of connects you more to the wider whole of the way that you were eating, um, the way that we're trying to release that violence um, in our relationship with what we eat and within our family and our community, connecting to the farmers, the way the food is grown. Mm. I think it's such a connecting experience. Yeah, and I think so. And it's important to note that, you know, at this moment in time with global warming and the, the environmental issues that we are facing, I encourage everybody to research Paul Hawkins. It's Paul, H-A-W-K-E-N-S. He's written, uh, he's put together a whole movement called Drawdown. Um, You need to look at it. Everybody needs to get involved. Um, But we can no longer be thinking of a a me paradigm. Uh, It's about we because we are affecting each other. And we're seeing the weather patterns. You're seeing it, uh, you know, expressed. And you guys live on an island, so it's, uh, you know, definitely, it's affecting everybody. So we can work together to draw down the heat that is happening to the planet. There are many ways. The number four powerful way, most efficient way is to eat a plant-rich diet. And Paul Hawkins is a true uh, blessing and leader and way shower for us to find a way into harmony. Yeah, full agreement there on that one. Yeah. <laughs> read a couple of his books and he's really he's very much in the conscious business perspective as well it's a big inspiration for me so um this is a question from someone who's actually coming to your retreat this week at sanya and his name is isma he said at what point um of your lives did you meet rich and how important was your support for him um, okay, so I've been married three times. You guys may know or may not know. I seem to like marriage. You know? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, I've, I've always sort of had a now uh, perspective. So I never really thought I would marry one person forever. That just didn't really seem like real to me. So the first one was a karmic relationship. The second one was a fairy tale of love um, that produced my two sons who were my cherished friends and just beautiful, beautiful beings. Um, and I would have said that that was the love affair of my life, that I had that, and most people never have that, and I was good. And then enter Rich Roll. Um, we met uh, 18 years ago in a yoga class. Um, I was not interested in him at all. He had been watching me for a year, I found out later. And I had no idea who he was or what we would encounter together, but I did recognize him from a past life when I was talking to him. And he was very young. I'm, I'm only four years older than he is, but just energetically, he was uh, young and struggling with addiction and struggling with you know life. And uh, it's been a miraculous journey. It's been, you know, I look back and I marvel at the way Divine Mother put us together, the way that we balance each other. He's so physically powerful and extreme. And uh, it's like he's holding the physical and I'm holding the spiritual. And there's this polarization integration that's happening in our marriage. And um, we've, he would tell you um, that. I was absolutely foundational in his transformation, as many feminine energies are. So uh, he would have never done the things that he has has done without my 
vision holding him and, and, you know, just holding him in that light. So, but it's still, um, you know, it's still miraculous when we look, when we look at it and we see how it all kind of fits in and we're still, still evolving and, uh, yeah, we'll see, see how it all comes into fruition. Um, it, you, your relationship with Rich touches a lot of people because I think there's a lot of dysfunction in relationships in general at the moment mm-hmm. and I think you know you kind of represent and you're, you're holding a role model for people in, in the sense of how a woman can really flourish um, from being herself and offering that support you know especially in some cultures where women were looked down upon for managing the household for not having careers and and, you know, that role of the feminine was almost, like, kind of kicked away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some women struggle with that. And how beautiful to honour that role of the woman. Like, whether you have a career or not um, is, you know, that's another question. For some women, that's their path. For others, it's not. But how beautiful that we can kind of honour the woman in that quality as a muse and, and as a support Mm-hmm. Um, and so many women are stuck in this kind of inferiority, superiority thing and stuck in the needing attention from their partner, which mm-hmm. stops them really just being in that wholeness within themselves. Mm-hmm. And what the relationship, you know, and what um, a man can receive from having a woman who's in, in that quality, I think is beautiful. Yeah, it's um, it's a big subject and, and um, it's it's not... It's more complex than maybe than maybe what it looks like, and you know, I was always an entrepreneur. I had done twenty nine. I was doing twenty nine things at once. You know, I had my own fashion company. I had built two homes. You know, the home that we live in now, I that's my home. I was building that home, so I met Rich in the middle of that. So it's my resources that paid for that home, and what is projected onto it is that he was the lawyer and so he you know so that's that's the illusion but somebody asked me this question early on you know well how do you deal with that and I was already I I had already expressed myself in many many ways and for the first time in my life when I gave birth to Jaya I was forced to sit down so I was in an in-breath of my of my experience and one of the things that I did during that in-breath was support him but it wasn't like I chose the role of the woman to stay home and support him. Um, that was never it. And so um, I'm an entrepreneur, will always be, and, and I'm creating in many, many, many different ways. So then I will say that after, when, his, when the tra- trajectory of our relationship was that he, he came out first of the dark night, um, that got a little bit I it got a little stale after a while like I was like this you know I'm not just I'm not just going to stay here while you do that because then he was already set so now I'm doing things you know we're actually at this kind of crossroads or this beautiful new place where I am developing my own brand you know that's why I'm here doing this retreat but it's not like I mean, I did this before I knew Rich. I did this for years. So um, I'm just coming back into my own because that expression is now born. And so he's going to be doing other things and I'm going to be doing other things and we're going to be doing certain things together. But I think it's important or could be helpful to understand that 
A feminine energy, whether it's in a female form or not, is by nature eternally creative. The feminine, the feminine energy creates eternally, forever and ever and ever, will never stop. She's prolific. So I was talking to a friend of mine, David, yesterday, and we were talking about you know men, women, and uh, I think a, a common thing that I was told by men many times was, you need to just do one thing. You need to just focus on one thing. And it was never, you know, I had this resistance against it, but it was never natural to my nature because I will never be doing that because I'm prolific, because I'm feminine, because that's the nature of the existential energy. On the other hand, the masculine energy is stillness, emptiness. So the two energies will never fulfill each other. It's simply a dance between the two energies. So the feminine knows that the masculine is not fulfilling himself. So she will sabotage him to create a rebirth within him. So he will continue to evolve. And every time she comes in his presence, he will cringe as this is David, David data presented this to me. Later, I found out that he had a partner, a woman who actually came up with these concepts, which I had to giggle. But anyway, uh, the, the, the man will slightly cringe in the presence of the feminine because she's almost too much for him. And he knows she's going to sabotage him because that is the nature of the relationship. So if you can get those elements and you can understand that that is the nature of these energies, you can stop being personally offended or annoyed that your feminine energy in your life has too many ideas or that your masculine energy in your life is not seeing you. The most important thing for a feminine energy is to be seen. The most important thing for a masculine energy is to fulfill the life mission. And of course we have within us both of those energies. But these were very key for Rich and for me to understand. And so he does a very good job of seeing me. And I do a very good job of uh, not being offended by my disturbance of his stillness. Beautiful. I think that's, it's such a rich subject, you know, this, this relationship between man and woman and our inner man and our inner woman. There's a really amazing book called Goddesses in Every Woman. I'm not sure if you've come across I it. I have come across it. She actually, um, instead of talking about our inner male and inner um, woman, she has the inner vulnerable goddess and independent goddess. And how actually we have both within us. You know, we have the independent side, which is kind of like the Artemis, the Athena, the goddesses who didn't need a man, they were just on their own track. And then you have the more vulnerable, the Hera, um, uh, Persephone. Um, and she was saying how we have both. And when you actually bring both into your life, when you have the vulnerable and the independent um, then you are the goddess of love. Yes. And, well, and that's a beautiful way to address this issue of, you know, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're embodying a feminine energy yeah. because we had this kind of imbalance. And so then you had women take up a masculine energy in yeah. a fem feminine form. So yeah. yeah, very true. That's a whole other podcast. A whole other podcast. <laughs> we'll have to meet again. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. So I think we can draw the conversation to a close here. And um, usually... I always end by just asking sort of what, if there's anything else you'd like to add um, 
that can encourage people to live a more fulfilled life. Mm. Um, we've covered a lot. <laughs> it's all in there already. It's all in there already. <laughs> or maybe just a final message, for example. Yeah, just a final message is to, you know, you don't need permission from anybody to know yourself. And if you don't, if you don't live yourself, then you will never have existed because there's not another one of you in the entire universe. And Guru Singh shared this with me. Um, he's a, an amazing friend, teacher, mentor, love of God. And uh, you can find him online, gurusingh.com. Um, but yeah, it's your life is between you and you. It's not between you and your parents or you and society or you and your wife or you or you and your child or anyone. It's between you and you. And so it is our mission to know ourselves. Um, so, you know, understand this life is sacred. It's precious. Um, and as human beings, we're divine and we are eternal and unlimited. And um, it's it's a very intense time and it's also a very beautiful time because of the opportunity that is here. And so wake up, wake up and understand that you are the one you've been waiting for. And this moment is now. Thank you so much. Thank you. you your wisdom. <laughs> Namaste. So if you enjoyed, which I'm sure you did this beautiful conversation with so many nuggets of wisdom in there, um, I really recommend for you guys to check out more of Julie's work. Her beautiful podcast, Divine Through Line, has a lot of um, different spiritual meditations, guidance. You can um, send in questions for Julie to answer. Um, so it's really nice if you need some tapping back into this, mm-hmm. to this flow. Uh, and also her work with Rich, the Plant Power Way books, with this, a new one coming out soon, which is yes. very exciting. And they also hold retreats, um, and hopefully in the future more retreats in Malta as well. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Amazing. Thank you so much, Julie. Yes. So you can find all of that out at srimati.com. Uh, that's my main hub website. And, uh, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen on SoundCloud. It's free uh, for you. Um, and then also just wanted to uh, mention my music um, under the name Srimati. And I have two albums that I recorded with my sons, Mother of Mine and Jai Home. Um, you can access all that through my website or on iTunes. Um, and then Our Plant Power World is our retreat website. We have a retreat in Italy coming up. It's about three quarters sold out already, but it's a, it's a trip of a lifetime. It truly uh, shifts your experience of life so um anyway be nice to meet some of you on those trips in the future so nice and close for us yeah and i'm on instagram at srimati so you can find me there amazing thank you guys as always if you've been touched by something in this conversation please like and share it um sometimes just hearing a little sentence can really help someone through a difficult time or inspire them to be a better version of themselves thank you and see you again soon
Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!